to episode four of the Food Coma podcast. Uh, in each episode, we take a seemingly mundane topic revolving around food and kind of let the conversation go where it may. Uh, today, we welcome our guest, Andrew Knowlton, uh, the current uh, Bon Appetit uh, editor-at-large, uh, the host of the Final Table uh, cooking show on Netflix, and also a partner in the uh, Carpenter Hotel and Carpenter's Hall restaurant in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Andrew. What's up, Joe? <laughs> it's good to have you here, man. Yeah, it's been a long time. How long have we known each other now? Uh, we met, and actually it was funny, I was telling this story on one of the other episodes, and that's how you actually came up on the Jonathan Wyman. Uh, okay. Because I was talking about when we met and you came to my house for the death match. Right. Uh, that was in 2009. Nine. Nine. Okay. April 19th, 2009. Oh, so it's our 10 year anniversary. Yes, this is our t- <laughs> we are celebrating. We are celebrating 10 years of marital bliss. Um, what, what is is that? What, what is that stone? Is that is that just silver? Or what, what anniversary is 10 years? I don't know. Are you talking about like AA chips or? I don't know. Well, you, you made me coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I got. Yeah. That's, this is what our, it's the first time I've ever made, uh, made you coffee. Um, so yeah, so we've known each other for 10 years and it's been funny cause like off and on, you know, we hang out in Boston or, or Portland or I came down to Brooklyn that time that's and we right. went to like prime meats and stuff. Um, but it's funny. We've, we had, uh, Andrew and I've had a, a lot of very, uh, varied, very varied we've had varied dining experiences uh in his usually in his quest for <laughs> the uh best new restaurants in the country uh to the point where <laughs> it's funny the some of some of the randomly most memorably uh bad experiences <laughs> actually and i don't necessarily get into naming names unless it's like a place that's been away for a long time but i think the funniest one that we ever had, I would say, we went to that in Boston. We went to this restaurant that only did tasting menus. Oh yes, that place. <laughs> yeah. That place. Yeah, you're like, yeah. My name is Teddy. <laughs> Still <laughs> like, in business, right? I'm like they know who you are. Still uh, in business, right? I don't know actually. Okay. It's, it okay. like left my memory except for yeah. that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like just, and it's funny because when we go to these restaurants, I'm not really, I'm not quiet. So I like to wait and talk about it after, but I can tell you, you, I can see the look on your face and you, cause you kind of want to talk about it while it's going right. on. Well, I feel like anything, yeah, you kind of want to just, it's like watching a sporting event. Like you want to second guess <laughs> them and be like, Oh, if they would have ran the ball instead of throwing it. And after you've done, you know, you know, like going to restaurants and, and reviewing them or critiquing them or whatever you want to call it, you have your patience or your tolerance for, mediocrity is 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 it's tough and it's yeah. like yeah when i if i'm not having if i'm having a bad meal that means i'm not having a good one and i'm wasting my time but the funny thing about that that particular place which i'm with you i don't like naming names when it comes to that kind of stuff is i think like three months after you and i went there boston magazine or one one of those publications down there named it like the best restaurant in Boston, yeah. which for me was like the perfect sign of Boston. No offense to Boston, I know yeah, we've gone back and forth about Boston. I think I think that's that's been a topic, right? I mean, they're like, why not us? Like, well, look who he named the best restaurant. But that's but that's what where that like that subjectivity comes into restaurants that is a hard thing to talk about when you're talk when you're doing reviews and all that is like who's this one person, me or you, who is the authority or, or, or says like this dining experience is the ultimate one or 
it, you know, and that's that's where it gets tricky. Yeah, actually, even the, even just the word best, best. Well, like, it's, it's an obnoxious, yeah. ridiculous claim. Saw, but we live in a world where accolades like that uh, garner eyeballs and, they and views and whatnot. It was interesting. The Portland Press Herald, I will name a name there. <laughs> they like last week put out like the you know the list of the seventy five best Portland area restaurants, and I'm kind of like. <laughs> 75. <laughs> Last I checked, there was only 25. Yeah, no, basically, <laughs> no, so it's basically kidding, being kidding. like, if you aren't on this list, you're a really <laughs> bad restaurant. I right. don't know. It was just like, right. Right. it was it was just such a bizarre uh, thing. And then, you know, and knowing who made the list and why. It was just, it was really strange. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, but it was funny that like with that tasting menu restaurant, like we're halfway through, you know, you go in, you have high expectations. And at first you're kind of, you're wanting to to like it. Yeah. And you're, you're giving it, leeway and you're like right. oh it's gonna be and i remember like the, the, the server was good and the wine was really good and then at one point halfway through you're just like what is this like what <laughs> it just becomes comically right. shitty it's like i remember they served one dish to us that was like i was like this you know what this is like this would be like after you've strained your stock, like going into the stock pot and eating out of it. Like, <laughs> yes. uh, remember that big piece of like celery? Yeah, it was like soggy, soggy, braised, with and I was the like, strings with those weird little croutons. I, I was, feel like that restaurant, and I don't, I don't, I'd have to go check my notebook because uh, you know I still keep a notebook of all those those memories. Um, those are the kind of places that they're not necessarily bad restaurants. They're just they lack a coherent point of view. They're derivative yeah. of what's going on at that time with yeah. no real direction. And yeah. those are my least favorite restaurants. Yeah. Those ones that just are wandering and kind of like, are you just trying to replicate a, an experience that you yourself had in Copenhagen or another city? And that's what's. Oh, and that, that actually is funny. That brings me to another, to a separate point that was sort of down the list a little, but like one of the things, I mean, we're talking about dining experiences, which is an all encompassing topic. So it can really go anywhere, but uh, one thing I've, I've that's like a, a trait in a restaurant tour where you can tell what they're trying to do is they've been to like 20 restaurants that they really like. So they right. try to bring every element of every single one of those restaurants and combine it into their like super restaurant. Right. That feels so horribly disjointed and yes. bizarre. I think the best example of that one time is I was working at this steakhouse down in Wells. Uh, it was just because, you know, I work in a lot of restaurants and sometimes you got to get out of town <laughs> a little bit. And uh and it was so funny. It was just such a strange place. It was like one of those places that like, like all like those steakhouses, they start out and everything is prime. And then slowly as businesses, you know, one thing <laughs> is now choice. choice. <laughs> one thing, you know, the filet is still prime, but everything else is, you know. It's not local anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. You start noticing things kind of on the slide. And that's when you know it's maybe not going well. But so uh, the owner was like this like total, you know, Italian guy. He saw someplace, I don't know where he was at a restaurant and it was like the couple's anniversary at a table near him. Mm -hmm. And the restaurant had like done the table up with like flowers and, and stuff and all this for them. And so he decided, and I remember coming in that day and I'm like, this is ridiculous, but I think I'm gonna have some fun with it. We, he had, there was this couple coming in and it wasn't even a busy night. They're like one of like three tables in the dining room. And so they're like, you know, they give us all these like, you know, fake silk flowers and like actual gold rings and all this stuff. And we're like, they're like, you know, do the table. So basically we just litter the table with these things. Right. And the people of course sit down and they're also, they look like they're awful people and they, they sit down <laughs> They're like, well, what's all this? I'm <laughs> just like, happy anniversary. They're just like, um, okay, great. <laughs> but the funny thing was, 
as it went, like in the end, I mean, the meal went fine. They just kind of pushed all the stuff right. off to the side. <laughs> but in the end, they ended up being these like people trying to pay with like five different Visa gift cards. Oh, wow. you, know, you know how Visa gift cards are in restaurants too. They don't always work because yeah. of the tip yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. And it was like a huge issue. Like right. the manager is involved and they're freaking out. And then she like went to the bathroom and said that she just threw up her veal chop and that they we poisoned her. Jesus. And it was like this whole thing that started with this table <laughs> that was littered with flowers and, and rings. And so I was like, this is karma, is what this and, is. And but but they had said, oh, we're coming into your restaurant to celebrate an anniversary. They, when they made the reservation, okay. yes, they okay. noted that it was there. See, I would be, if somebody did that, <laughs> I'd be, a, yeah, I would be scared. Yeah. yeah, it would be terrible. But I just loved how in the end they turned out to be just horrible people. When they broke the gift cards out right. and then they were like upset at me, I'm like, look, they just don't go through. Yeah. I don't. We'll make them go through. I'm like, I'm not a credit card machine. Like, if I could make that happen, it wouldn't be working here. If I could just make credit cards work that didn't have a balance on them. You I, know? I love how when people go out for anniversaries or birthdays or they're celebrating a job, it's like there's this extra layer of expectation with dining. And like restaurants are where so much of, at least for me, and I know for you, like, the most memorable times in your life happen. But those occasions are always the unforced ones, those chance ones where yeah. you don't know what you're getting into. And in that added pressure of a restaurateur having to like, oh, it's so-and-so's 50th birthday. It's gotta be yeah. special. I've always talked about restaurants. Um, the, the the most dangerous thing for a restaurant and restaurateurs, and even for con consumers when we go out to eat is expectation. Yeah, Expectation can ruin a restaurant. It's like I've heard from so many people that after they're on a list of, you know, let's say they're on the Bonapiti Hot 10 list. It's like it, it's like we don't we didn't do anything different. But now the consumer coming in is like, this doesn't taste like the number one restaurant. <laughs> this this isn't a number one steak. <laughs> I don't understand. Or when you name a sandwich shop in New yeah. Orleans, uh, you know, the, uh, the number one restaurant, then you have all these people walking in being like. You know, they have like McDonald's like commemorative plates, you know, that they're serving. Oh, by the way, you just hit it. Every episode, there is a McDonald's mention. Oh, really? At some point, yes. It always <laughs> happens. And you you went for a rate early off. I like that. See, I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, we'll talk about McDonald's later. We will. <laughs> um, but that that's that expectation that, um, you know, people want accolades and, they, and, and their restaurants want press. But that that weight is a lot on people you know i've heard it from people in portland you know after even after last year when when bon appetit we named portland like the best food city again like, i remember that one of these absurd things <laughs> but i heard it from a lot of you know chefs and restaurateurs and they're like it's great but it's also this added level of like expectation and and pressure i just saw the boston the boston globe not to bring up boston again no, that's because coming I yesterday hate, that came out yesterday right was about restaurants in portland that you can actually get into right which was like a like i get what they were doing it was a strange headline right but i think like overall it was like very well intentioned i was almost like because like somebody from the press herald went on facebook and was like critical of it and then somebody from one of the restaurants was like hey yeah did, are you forgetting that actually being a restaurant a busy restaurant is a good thing right like restaurants want to be busy right like that's the point and this helps these restaurants but there is no but even in portland like even in the height of summer right now when when you have all the influx of tourists and people and the, and the eyes are on it it's still not like crazy busy no yeah you can still park you can still get in like places. in boston you literally right. 
your lunch plans will change because you can't even right. park within three miles of the place you're trying to go. I was having a conversation once with Andy Ricker, who has a restaurant called Pock Pock. And he once told me that he he has a place in Portland, Oregon that became fam- he became famous for. Um, he has an amazing cookbook if you want to cook Thai food. Well, Pock Pock is the, it, kind of the gold standard. It now. is the jam. Yeah. And he opened a place in Brooklyn, kind of off the beaten path. Um, and he he doesn't blame only this, but one of the things he says was the media always said, oh, don't go over there because you won't be able to get in. It, the wait is too long. So he ended up having to put a camera in the vestibule of the restaurant that was then a live feed on the website. So you could go and check wow. what the line was like. Cause he was like, people would say, oh, it's an hour wait. But yeah. in, in fact, there was no wait at yeah. all. And he's like, here I am be like, people think I'm busy, <laughs> but I'm not. You yeah. know, so again, that expectation yeah, that hype is, is crazy. Yeah, it can go in so many directions. Yeah. And it's like, you want obviously when it works properly, the restaurant becomes very successful. That's and right. Everything is great. But then there's things like, like he had to install. He's like a, one of the most arguably one of the more famous chefs in America. Right. Because of that book. And and and, and he has to put a camera in his vestibule. He has to like, put a camera. And this is in New York where I mean, this is a place where there wasn't that much foot traffic. I mean, that's one thing with the bigger cities like you get the crazy amount of foot traffic where it always is busy. But I found in Austin, Texas, where I live now, or even here in Portland, where you get, you know, people don't want to go to a place because they think it's going to be busy because they don't want to get out of their car. They don't want to park that, you know, it was just that edit added headache, which is, you know, at the end of the day is absurd. I think it's funny that there's this new trend. So it, it reminds me of something that, that happened to me when I was growing up here in Portland, where I remember in the, it was like 1996 or 97, there was this place that opened out on Forest Avenue and it was a nightclub called Metropolis. Were you like five years old? How old were you? I'm 40. So I was okay, like 18 okay. or 19, okay. but I looked like I was 30 when I was 12. <laughs> so I could like go to bars. I went to my first bar when I was 14 and didn't get carded. So uh, I had a double life. And then that's what, what you wish for. And huh? that's what well, I had. one. I still have one. Like, you know, it's a it's a double edged sword, as you've many of your friends in this business <laughs> you know how it goes anyway so there was this uh this nightclub that i've known called metropolis and even as like an 18 year old i remember they had on their sign like literally on the big sign and there was metropolis with like a skyline and then the phrase bringing serious clubbing to portland yes and i was like <laughs> even as an 18 i'm like that's kind of condescending like i don't think <laughs> and it reminds me every time like a big name city chef comes to maine to like open their restaurant. I'm going to show you, you. Yeah, I'll you, show you. Yeah. You guys ain't seen nothing. <laughs> you think you know restaurants? I'm going to go up there. I'm going to blow the doors off that whole state. Now, was, they, was Metropolis, is that where the nightclubs always are in Portland? That little strip down from Gritty's? No, no, no. This no, was actually okay. Outer Forest Avenue is sort okay. of where like that, yeah. uh, I think it was where like Bruno's restaurant is now. But you know that little strip where there's always a nightclub? Wharf Street. Wharf Street. And that's okay. not even the case anymore because it used okay. to be the industry was there and like the, the Dirty Bird and 51 Wharf. They're, they're places that you go okay. to get roofied, essentially. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't really, I didn't go there. But anyway, like Does every anyone time- go to a place to get roofied? I, you know, you, you wouldn't think so, but then sometimes they're like, hey, can I have a martini? I'm going to go to the bathroom. Can you watch my drink for me? <laughs> like, they think putting the coaster over it, you know, that's that'll fix it. Nobody can move a coaster. I've heard stories of, of people- Maybe not recently, but back in the day in New York about getting roofied and and people would um, take their drinks to the bathroom with them. 
for that very reason. Right. I myself have never been roofied, thankfully. I mean, I've thought I have, like when I woke up and I was like, no, that was just one too many margaritas. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, roofies. But now you have a bathroom drink. Yes. Now, now you've you got a drink yeah. that's made the trip to the bathroom yes. with you. And that's like that the, the league, whatever, that show. Yes. <laughs> the whole thing about like the, the bathroom caddy to put stuff in. So outside. are you pro taking your drink to the bathroom? I don't. My drinks don't last for like five seconds. So I'm not worried about that. <laughs> that's why, I, you know, I don't order by the glass. I don't. Uh, I usually order my liquor neat. So if I got to go to the bathroom, I'm going to finish my glass. But it is funny why it's socially <clears throat> acceptable for at certain bars and maybe this is a, a male thing yeah. but but it is but, it, but i've seen women at but at dive bars or bars it's socially acceptable to take it or stadiums yeah. uh, sporting events right to take your drink into the bathroom but if you were at 11 madison park or someplace you would never take your martini no. or, or even your glass of beer to the toilet no also, I was thinking if somebody roofied me, that'd be like killing a bear and having to like lug it. You'd have like a lot of work ahead of you if you roofied me. Like, cause you know, you never know when I'm gonna go down. And like yeah. I'm picturing like that a would have hunter to be like, out in the field, right. you know? That's like silence of lambs. You'd have to back the a white pickup. van up. Yeah, you'd have to have you have to like hog tie me or something and use like a the forearm forklifts to like get me up there. Cause me as dead weight. Okay. Uh, Note to sell. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any would-be roofiers out there, go ahead, man. Try me. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, going back to the original. So chefs that come to, to Maine, I, I don't know if this happens in, I feel like it happens more in Maine than most states. I, I would beg to differ. I would say okay. that it's a, it is a plague on um, secondary cities that have now become food destinations. Like Charleston? Or- I would say Charleston. I yep. would say Nashville. I would even say there's a little bit of that in Austin. There's Atlanta. The fact that one of the great things about eating in the United States now is because of accessibility and ingredients and people not wanting to live in big cities is you get Pittsburgh and Cincinnati and and Nashville becoming legitimate food destinations. But with that comes, you know, what we loosely call the carpetbagger syndrome is when, (laughs) you know, you get these New York chefs going down to Nashville. And sometimes that's a great thing, but a lot of times they're just taking advantage of being in the cool it city Mm -hmm. and, Again, you could name 10 restaurants that have come and gone in those cities. Yeah, all of a sudden the restaurant's still there, but the name right. is mysteriously not attached to it anymore because right. they just give up. But I feel like Maine, Maine won't, Maine is such a, it's like next to Texas. It's it's a very prideful state. Like when you come from Maine, yeah. you're from Maine. Um, I've written many times that I'll always be from away no matter what. Even, even if yeah. you're born here, if your parents aren't from here, right? You're right. still not a local, but you know, most of the chefs that who've moved from a, another city to Maine to Portland, they all have like a deep relationship with Maine, right? Yeah. Nobody's coming up here really. I mean, is there, there was one who, who there was one chef, um, Matthew Kinney. No, Sam Talbot. Uh, he was on oh, top yes, chef. Yes. Uh, I mean, he was two. up in Camden, right? Right. So he yeah. came to Camden from New York or whatever. Yeah. 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 Uh, he came up and it was like one of those situations where like these guys come and they bring their whole staff with them. Right. They're like, yeah, you know, I can't staff it with me. I got to bring my crew, you know, because we right. do things like we do. Right. And I'm sure they had that talk where they're like, we're going to run this town. Like, you know, there's going to be like, we're going to like the bars there. They're just going to like know us as this like crew and we're going to run shit. And then it just... People don't care or it's just I remember going to this. It was actually the most comic. One of the worst meals I've ever had 
was, and I can name this now because this is long gone, but it was his restaurant and it was like this press dinner to start, like mm-hmm. opening night or something. Mm-hmm. And I know because I interviewed him afterwards and I think he thought, like a lot of them think that literally on every block here, there's a farm or a farm stand mm-hmm. because he was like, oh yeah, everything's from the farm. But then literally by the end, he's just going to one farm to get everything. <laughs> but I'll never forget what he served and it must have been out of desperation, but he did like the whole roasted fish, uh-huh. but it was a haddock. <laughs> and that's not a fish that's meant to be served in that. Th- and you I was want like that in your chowder, right? Yeah, or fried. Yeah, like you like, don't yeah. serve a whole haddock. Somebody yeah. like it's. And I was like, okay, this guy has no idea. I don't even know what a whole haddock looks like. It was weird. <laughs> it was like, and it didn't even, it didn't taste good. It was just like, that's not, not a fish that's conducive was, to eating. Was like that, that, was that the restaurant? And I don't, I mean, I have it was the pig and poet. Okay, yeah, that, that was the place that had a lot of rope in it. Did it have a lot of? It's, yes, it did. Actually, okay. the, the, yeah, the lighting was actually really. I liked the lighting in there, and they, now I think because the hotel is still there, but they finally were just like, okay, we're not doing right. a restaurant. We're just going to use this for functions. But or but it does bring up an interesting point. Like I I I went there with my wife. Now that you mention it, because um, my family has a place in, right. in Rockport, so close by, and the it's just funny. Nine times out of 10, what I notice or what I remember is not necessarily the food at most places. It's the rope that's wrapped around a pole or the music that was playing, whether it's good or bad. You know, it's like those. Yeah. The food is like. Is a big part of it, of course, but many times I think for normal diners, people don't do this as a living. That's what they remember the most. Right. They remember all the flowers on the table when they came for their anniversary dinner or the waiter who was funny, you know, or any of those experiences that you right. have. It's it very rarely is it the food. Yeah. If it's just the food, I mean, that's usually more when it's just the food, it's like usually like, you know, it's a, it's a takeout place or something. Mm-hmm. Lunch. Like that's usually the only experiences where it's just about the food. Right. And a lot of people don't get that. And a lot of people think that the food can carry them. Right. On things They're like, Oh, I had a pop up and, well, it's crazy food. I mean, it took three hours to serve you and it cost you $250 for something you could have gone to a restaurant and spent that money on you know, right. whatever. And all the wine we got was donated. Right. So it was like right. $2 <laughs> wine because it's always an afterthought for some reason, like right. the drinks. I don't know why. Right. Like somebody donated a keg of beer right. and, you know, the distributor gave us all this Corbett Canyon Chardonnay. So <laughs> enjoy. As far as service, I think uh, it's always interesting when the servers, when they, I don't like it when they kind of break the fourth wall, if you will, mm-hmm. where you're all of a sudden you're involved when they talk, when they use, they talk about like the seating chart to you mm. or like the things are 86th or, you know, it's like I've worked in restaurants for 20 years front of the house. So obviously I understand these things. Mm-hmm. And now as a diner, when they're talking to me like that, especially when I don't even know them, mm-hmm. I find that really strange. It's like also when I hear their banter, like in the back, I'm always just like, guys, like, I mean, like, that's another thing. Like I, sometimes I want to tell people, you may not know that your your waiter is actually being harassed by all of his fellow waiters as he's waiting <laughs> on you. Because we used to have this one guy at a restaurant I worked at. This is two, actually two stories. One was a restaurant in Portland. And there was this one guy that we called KGB for whatever reason. And he was like annoying, but fun to like pick on. And but one thing I'd like to I'd like to do to him is like on a Saturday night, we'd be really busy. Mm-hmm. And I'd go over to the computer and I'd, I'd close all his checks out to cash and clock him out. Wow, <laughs> so that is he, a dick move. Oh, totally. So you'd see him over there like 
Or we transfer all these tables to different servers. You have to find them. Uh, wow. If I was a restaurateur and I heard that happening, I'd be like. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that was the thing. It's always when the, the supervision, you know, people think they can just leave you without supervision. And that's a terrible idea, especially if it's me. Um, so, yeah, we do like things like that to him, uh, which were hilarious at the time. At the time. Joe, you anyway, were a ter- you're a terrible employee. I am the worst. <laughs> I am the worst. But then I've had, I've taken it, too. I remember I was working at nine steakhouse in Chicago, which has since closed. And I had this table that I actually had a pretty good rapport with, right? And so they had paid and they were out in sort of like the coat area by the host stand. Yeah. And I went to pick up their check and I said something like, it was like a good tip, but I said like, fuck you on the, on the check, written <laughs> on the check. So I like go out in the, in the hallway and I was like, hey, fuck you too, to people. And they look at me and I'm like, you know, like, fuck, I'm holding the check. I'm like, you know, yeah. fuck you. And they're like, yeah. Apparently, one of my fellow servers had written that on the check. Wow. And after, yeah. And I was like, they thought it was, luckily, they thought it was hilarious. But the look on their face when I first walked down, I was like, fuck you, too. As like, if waiting tables wasn't hard enough when you have your colleagues harassing you. Oh, my God. Just the things that you do, like, I mean, because you have to, you know. But the usually, fact that, but even if somebody had told you to go fuck yourself on the thing, the fact that you would follow them out. <laughs> And say that to them <laughs> yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Well, because I had a good rapport with them. I thought they were kidding around. You right. know, I was like, if somebody actually wrote that and I thought they meant it, I would probably go out too and be so, like, hey. Would you rather be lied to um, about what's good and what's not good on a menu? Because we all go into, I don't care who we are, how many times we've been out, we ask that stupid question of the waiter like, Oh, what's good? Or like, what do you dig these days? You know, you're asking somebody randomly just because they work in a restaurant that they have taste, right? Right. Would you rather than be like, you know what? That dish is great. That dish, not my favorite, not very good. Or would would you be like, you like, oh, everything's good and make your own decision? Actually, I'll I'll turn that around on you because now you're a partner in a restaurant. Mm. What would you want your servers to do? In that situation. Well, hopefully there's not a bad well, right. dish. On that's a, the thing. A, You're like, hoping that that's not the case, but, you know. But, but even as somebody who like, you know, at the Carpenter's Hall, like there, I have dishes on that menu that I like more than others, right? Yeah. And there's some that are super successful. I'm always, you know, sometimes food is like, oh, what do you feel like? Are you feeling like gluttonous? Do you want stracciatella with like toasted bread when it's 98 degrees out in Texas? Um <laughs> I feel like I'm, it's more of that contextual, like, oh, it's all good, but right now I think this is at its best or something, you know. To say something is a shitty dish, I would never, <laughs> yeah. like, hopefully that wouldn't right. be on there. But, I, but I'm one of those it. people, even though I don't know who the waiter or waitress is, I mean, they could just be loading up on Doritos every day. Like, yeah. they have no palate at all. I mean, I like Doritos, but you know what I mean. I know like, exactly what I mean, yep. And, and you, and we all, we always ask them like, what's good. And I think I do that not just to know what they're talking about, like what they actually believe, but to hear how well they know the menu and the, in, because I've found in my experiences that if you have a server who is engaged and knows a menu, that usually is epi- is emblematic of how serious the kitchen is or how serious the restaurant yeah, is. Because nobody really gets to know terrible food no. inside and out. No. And if you have somebody <clears throat> who's passionate about as a server, which is a hard thing to hire and an even harder thing to do personally, and you have somebody who is an actor or a writer and they're working at a restaurant and they really love something, 
that's that's a good sign for me. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like somebody like you. If if I had gone to Miyaki or wherever and had a meal and you came up, even though you probably would have told me to go fuck myself or something. No, no, but but <laughs> I'm sure you told that you, me first. <laughs> I'm sure th- what they didn't worry with Joe is that he was passionate or had an opinion about the food. And right. I think that that dictates so much of that experience to people. Yeah, you know? and it's funny. I was like that at Miyaki. I was very, very serious about what we were doing. Yes. And I was really excited about sharing it. Going out to eat is something that we do all the time. Like you have a choice. You can go to this chain restaurant. You can go to this independent restaurant. It doesn't matter. But going out is now like embedded in the American culture. It's yep. like most probably people eat out more than they cook in general. And I feel like the reason that I was, that I'm able to have by and large better meals than most people is because I go out to whatever restaurant that is, whether that's Tukasa or Izakaya Minato or Kong Tubat or whatever that restaurant is, is like, I want to have a good time and I want to eat their food. And one thing that I've noticed having kind of segued into the the other side of the business now, like being involved with, right. a, with a restaurant is, and I'm not knocking people's in general, but like to go out to eat is to put yourself in another person's hands and yes. to trust them. Like I'm going to spend my money and I want you to show me something cool and, you know, experience something different. It's like going to see a movie. Like, do you want to go to a movie where you get to pick what the narrative is and how it ends Interesting way to put it, and yeah. all these things? You don't do that. And, and to go to a restaurant and say that I want the cheeseburger without the bun and with this, or can you do that pasta, but can you take out the morel mushrooms and the ramps? You're changing what somebody has put a lot of effort into. And, and then I believe that you have no, you cannot in any way then have a reasonable critique of that restaurant because you put too many demands of yourself on, on those things. You yeah, know, I think that goes both ways too. Cause you're like, because obviously it's offensive to the restaurant. Right. But then also to the person, you're like, why are you here? Well, like, this isn't where you want to be, no. clearly. Like, you right. you know, it, it, I'm not judging you if you want to eat at the Olive Garden, but no. go eat at the Olive Garden. Go, like, go, yeah, go, that, go where makes you happy. Yeah. But don't go to restaurants expecting this preconceived outcome of what it is, you know? Right. You know, People don't do that with other things, but with restaurants, for yeah. some reason, they feel like they can get they oh, can. Nobody goes to a play. Nobody goes to a sporting event saying like, "I want this to be the score at the end, and I want <laughs> this is the play that yeah. they should run." It's like no, whatever happens at the end happens. That's the drama. That's the intrigue. And, and God forbid, at the end of the meal, maybe you're like, you know what? I didn't think I liked octopus, and now I like octopus because somebody who knew what they were doing showed me the way. Yeah. And, and I think, but I feel like as a culture, this, you know, I want it my way and I want it done, which is fine for the hospitality because, you know, as hospitality professionals, you do want to give people an experience that they enjoy and you want to take care of them. But also I think at at what cost are we in, in today's restaurants, like that, that the, you know, that, that cliche that the consumer is always is, is right. And then if you don't do something they want, well, then you're somebody's going to take the Yelp and say how you're an asshole and you're an elitist because you won't just serve them buttered noodles. It's like, 
There's a million restaurants. You could go to a million restaurants and get buttered noodles. Yeah, it's funny. I, I have that as one of the things I want to talk about. Is I don't, yeah, I don't prescribe to the the customer is always right. And and yeah, now they have a lot of they have a lot of power. They have they, they have a lot of they have a lot of power, which is fine. I mean, you know? it isn't and it isn't. I don't think that a lot of people well, I think that you give them the power when you a lot of times if you you know, if if like if I see a restaurateur that like changes their menu because something somebody says on Yelp. Right. I'm like, you're not doing it right. Like you're, you, you have to try, trust yourself. You enough. have to trust yourself. I mean, if, if, yeah. if, if you go on to Yelp and a thousand people have said right. that your hamburger buns are stale, then maybe they are stale. You know, like yeah. I think it's, it's, but right. Putting, putting one, putting too much weight on one review. I mean, I also think like any, any restaurateur or I don't know how I feel about like, again, if you're a musician or somebody in the arts and you read reviews of yourself. Right. They say you shouldn't. Right. I think uh, uh, there's a, there's a masochistic thing about that. I mean, even with me, whether it's me doing a TV show or, or even like when I would do the hot 10 and then you'd hear the feedback off of that, like there, you kind of want to know like, Oh, everyone likes a pat on the back. Yeah. But then the, you know, there's always going to be somebody hating out there. it hurts, man. Like I, I did, I did the, uh, I did that Anthony Bourdain episode of Fukuoka TV, yeah. and I, you know, and just like the things people, it's like I, I can let it bounce off, but like, it's like people are aggressive. Right. And I remember actually the first time the Press Herald delivered an article about me in 2010 about like my blog, like seven people said they wanted me to die, like right. in this thing, and I'm like, dude, like, like die? That's serious. Yeah, like, yeah, you want me to die? Like, not uh, even break my leg yeah, first? Even, yeah, like it's like can you be more creative? Like I hope you die. And like, okay. Well, I mean, it just I think in society now, obviously you have to if if you're and everyone's out there in some ways because with social media, anyone can post anything they want, right? Um, or any kind of the, the feedback, um, you know, the Yelps and all that, that you have to be prepared to, to, to take that, you know, yeah. to take it. If you put yourself tickets. out there as an artist, yeah, you need to, but also it's like, and if not, you just don't really, like, I, I think that, you know, if you have a vision of something, mm-hmm. you know, and with the exception of, like you said, if a thousand people are like your hamburger buns are stale, yeah. but if you have a vision of something, that's the only thing that Masamiyaki, like Masamiyaki never never read any press about himself. Right, he never right. even asked anybody what they, he just did what he did every day. Right. And that, and you can tell by how busy you are, right. if you're doing it right or right. not. And I think that if you, especially if you, if you do have thin skin, I think that's the best route to go. Right. Rather than now, you, there's just so many ways people can come at you. But uh, it's funny, I want to go back to the, when you're talking about, you know, the sense of entitlement in mm-hmm. so many diners now mm-hmm. and how they, they treat the restaurant business just like no, no place else. And I thought one thing that always embodied that to me while working in restaurants is like when you're working lunch or something mm-hmm. and they come in and you're not open for another 20 minutes and they're like, okay, great. I'll just sit here and wait. <laughs> and you're like, do you go to the bank and do that? Do you go to like any other business? Right. And you're like, I'm just going to sit in here and wait for you to open. Right. Like, and they, and when you tell them to leave, they act like, so like, right. you're just putting us out on the street. Right. And it's like, we aren't open yet. Like, you no, know, there's, this is my time without you. Like, you're there, ruining there's it. There's so many cases of, and I think, I think the restaurant industry in general should be flattered by the fact that people come in and there's this like, familia, like there's a, there's, you know, we treat each other like you're in our homes yeah. and people kind of to a fault act like they're part of the family. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, when you go to the doctor and this is not every doctor, but, you know, you wait 45 minutes for your appointment that was at nine o'clock. And that's just the way it is at doctor's offices or cardio or wherever yeah, you want to yeah. go. 
in a restaurant, if somebody waits five minutes for their table (laughs) on a Friday night at eight o'clock because somebody else who's at that table now happens to be having a really good time. Yeah. It's like the sky is fucking falling. You <laughs> right. know, it's like, yeah. how could you do this to I me? I made a reservation yes. and that gives me the right yes. to like. Online, it's like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's so, it's like, I mean, I've been to so many concerts where oh. I'm like, dude, go on stage already. Yeah. Like I'm done listening to this warm up music, yeah. but that's okay. Right. Um, but I think there's so many things <laughs> in the restaurant business that that are tolerated. Um, and I, I don't I don't know why that is. I don't know why it became a place where you and maybe it's just because of the knowledge that people have about food or they there's these expectations. But everybody has an opinion about it. And everyone has an opinion. But I think restaurants used to be for me, they used to be these like super intimidating places where. I would go to like have my eyes opened about a dish or an ingredient or an experience. And now going to restaurants is so much about them conforming to what you want at that specific time. You know, I think especially in the hotel business, like breakfast is the wild, wild west because we're all like when I would wake up at my house, my mom would literally be like, what would you like for breakfast? Yeah. And I want, oh, I'll have eggs. And she's like, how do you want your eggs? And th- that could be 10 different ways. Lunch is similar to that. But dinner was always like, oh, this is what you're eating for dinner. And if yeah. you don't eat it, then you can starve to death. And people <laughs> yeah. in restaurants do that. Like breakfast, they they can order whatever they want and you have to do it, right? I yeah. want my eggs just like my mama made them, right. which is like, you know. And, they may and not even need a menu. They can don't even need in. a menu. Yeah. Uh, and and that's where you get people that, these crazy demands. And even lunch is like that, like, oh, I want this, I want that. Can you take this off on that? Take off Dinner's a little bit less because that's a more formal thing. I don't know why it's like that. It's one of the most frustrating things about wanting to set your kitchen up for success and then having all these these kind of substitutions or and look, some like if you don't want mayonnaise on your burger, fine. Whatever, yeah. Not a big yeah. deal. But when you start asking, like, can I get, you know, shrimp on the Caesar salad? It's like, we don't offer sh- Caesar salad with shrimp. Like, <laughs> we don't have Caesar salad. <laughs> you have eggs, right? Yeah. You have lemons. <laughs> but, you know, people won't. Yeah. Anyway, and then that's not that's not to this is, I don't want to turn this into a bitching thing. I just oh, you can I find it fascinating that restaurants out of any other place in society that we all go to, that it's all about your happiness you know it's it's about making me happy when i walk into a place your favorite thing yes (laughs) and it's like i don't like that bar because they did that it's like well you know what that that dive bar that that a lot of people love part of what makes that place good is that you're having to kind of change who you are when you walk into that place yeah some of my most amazing restaurant experiences and bar experiences are places that I felt uncomfortable, not in a like, oh, this is a, you know, that they're doing something illegal, right. but like, you know, going to Europe or going to Asia and walking into a restaurant where you don't speak the language or you don't really know what it's about and walking out being like, that was the most magical place. Yeah. Nobody goes to, you know, Thailand and says like, I don't want right. that, you know, it's yeah. like, and I just think if people just gave themselves up to restaurants and let let's be inspired by some other person's point of view. Like 
that's really where magic happens. The older I get, the more I crave those kind of, I don't worry about trends and, and chasing the new. I worry, I, I want to go to those places that are uniquely representative of a person or a group of people who are running this restaurant. And that's, that's my problem with chains, but my, I, I am fascinated by having kind of worked in kitchens now for a long time and, and now involved with one is the systems behind a place. And I, if you go look at, you know, the top 50 in the world, best new restaurants, they have these amazing systems in place. You know, even if Noma, like there's this yeah. infrastructure that you think that you can, that, that restaurants have to be kind of free flowing and willy nilly, but that they're not like no. they're, they're logistical nightmares unless you make them work. You need to, yeah, the key, the, the key really in restaurants is to make it look easy. Yes. But really it's, it's a, sh yes. You're and like, even, what is it like a duck where you're like yeah. Tom on top of <laughs> yeah. flailing under the water? Like, you know, or when you go to a Broadway play or whatever, it's like, it's a shit storm in the back behind the curtains. Right. But when they come out, it's like, do whatever you got to do to put a face on. I still remember when I was it. like, I'm going to see the Lion King. You're like, well, it's not Hamilton. <laughs> I'm like, I've never been to a Broadway show. Stop judging me. I don't know. I was the person I'm going with really wants to see this. So Wait, who said that? I said you that? said it to me because I was in town because the girl I was dating at the time was had this very strong opinion about the Lion King being a really great show. And I'd never been to a Broadway show. Right. And so when I texted you and I was like, yeah, so apparently you're going to the Lion King and you're like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not Hamilton. Yeah, but, but. Well, I was probably that's a, I think Lion, I'm not coming on Lion King because obviously nine billion dollars later, it's doing fine. Right, right, right. Um, I think I was more like it's a well-oiled machine. Yes, that's right. That's, that's reminded me 20 years down yeah. the line. Like, yes. <laughs> I like it. it when you judge me. Um, <laughs> the times that you like put people on lists that you know I don't like, or the funny thing was when you put um, port when you did this when you did last year the Portland the Bon Appetit um, top food town yeah uh, uh, restaurant city restaurant city excuse yeah. me it was foodiest small town in two thousand that was a long right? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway so you, when you put that list out I didn't know what you were talking about when you texted me you just said because I had texted you and I was like hey here's a fun challenge. Can you guys go a year without mentioning Portland yeah. and Bonte? And and you and you just texted back, and oh my god, and that's just blown up. I mean, everybody, you know, Bonte, but um, you just texted back. I'm sorry. And the next day it came out because I didn't know what you're talking about, and I thought you meant oh, that you I was like saying, I was I, I was getting I thought, ahead of myself. Saying right, I'm sorry I thought you said that because you you put somebody on a list that you know i didn't like or something yeah, yeah, we yeah. have those those people that yes, kind of just course. have to be there but yeah but yeah so i was like ah and you but you made a then you you made a reference to me you said that i'm like a new yorker because i have this kind of hatred for where i live or something it was like a user really good i've i've i don't remember what i said exactly yeah. but you're like that i think i'm like that to some extent a lot of times that i would get grief and i think anybody does is you kind of helicopter into a city you make a bunch of judgments about a place and then you leave. Like that's what people say about me. Right. Yeah, yeah. But then I think and you're like actually coming on a jetpack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Private so, jet. Yeah. No, but I think this is, this is like self-preservation. Like my defense mechanism is a lot of times, like people who live in a city are so critical of the city they live in and they know so many people and they have this experience that sometimes it gets harder to like take a step back. Like if I lived in Portland, full time and i had people constantly coming up here 
making these grand proclamations about how this is the best lobster roll in Portland or this town is now blowing up, I would be like, fuck you. <laughs> yep. Get out of here. So I understand <laughs> yeah. your hatred of yeah. me, where that comes from. I'm, I'm well aware. It wasn't of you. It <laughs> no, was like you're like a New Yorker because you have this disdain for where you live. Yeah, you love it at the same time. Right. Well, like, most New Yorkers hate New York, right. but then you take them out and they're like, get me back to New York right away. I don't <laughs> yeah. know how these people are living the way they're living. Yeah. But like Portland, Maine in general is one of those places that like, it's pro it, the proximity to New York and Boston and those bigger cities that it's become this kind of stomping ground where people come to go to the country and experience this amazing food culture. And Portland does have a food culture, but you spend three months here and it starts to feel pretty small, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's always been, and that's why I think like that diversity, Maine is not a diverse state. I think we could yeah. all agree on that. that. Yeah. 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 And, but I think that's what's that, the most recent wave of restaurants is at least somewhat helping that diversity of restaurants. Like hopefully there'll be more people with different backgrounds opening restaurants and opening that up. I agree with you that I think that there was a, a time certain year where there were these places opening and I'm like, this is like places opening just because we're supposed to open in Portland. And that's right. what you do now. Right. But the, the recent ones, there have been many very, very good. Right. And, and, you know, that's, that's when you're a tourist town, tourist state, yeah. uh, which is, I, I assume that's the largest source of income in Maine yeah, is I mean, tourism population I mean, is, is like, yeah. and I'm not talking, taking anything away from a restaurant like <clears throat> scales, but like opening a restaurant that is just for tourists is a poor way to open a restaurant. Absolutely. There's no end game to that. No. You're not going to make anybody happy. And I think that's what's made places like I'm not I'm not saying Kong Tubat is the greatest restaurant of all time, but I'm saying in the framework of Portland, it is an amazing breath of fresh air. Whether you can find issues with it, fine. Right. But even even going to Izakaya Manado, there's yeah. like there's one part or there's a team of people who are in charge of that restaurant, they have a point of view and they're offering something different right. than a freaking lobster roll. And you can actually, you know, it's funny when people come from out of town, they're like, where do you like to eat? And right. I'm like, somebody's from New York, like I like to eat at Saigon, and I like to go, but I'm not gonna tell them to go to like a Vietnamese restaurant right? because they have a, a million in New York, right. but Kong Dubat, I would, because there's something different about that that has right. more of a, it's the same thing with Bonato. I'm like, right. yes, I know where you come from. You have plenty of great Japanese food, but this place is still unique in its own way. Right, because you know, the mackerels from Casco Bay or yeah. whatever. Or just the and, character and, of the place and itself. And the same know? thing, like when people come up to Midcoast, Maine, you know, and I do my my list for them, I'll send them to McLoon's, you know, Lobster yeah. Shack, but also send them the long grain. It was like, yeah. because whether or not that's the best Thai food you've ever had, maybe it's not, maybe it is. That's that's a Thai restaurant that's using main ingredients and they're doing it in a really cool way, yeah. I, I think, you know. Oh, yeah. When I agree yeah. with you, 100%. Yeah. wonder what keeps me alive and my skin glowing and looking the way I do, me looking heart smart and healthy and on the go. Uh, it is my reckless consumption of tourmaline spring water, which you have there, uh, Andrew. It's. Do you know the story with this water? Uh, you know, I was staying at a hotel here in Portland and it was in the room. Oh, cool. And then I as I am, like pick up a label and start reading about it, but refresh my yeah, memory. So, well, I mean, the whole deal with it is that it is absolutely not filtered at all. It comes directly from the spring. And I've actually drank it from the spring. I've okay. gone up there because I did a story on them back in the day. And I'm into water. Like I 
Where's Harrison, Maine? Harrison is like, I think it's like an hour and a half northwest. It's, like, it's in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you actually, when you go into this room, there's like this metal kind of thing, and they open the case, you look into the spring, and there's like, you can see the water being filtered through the sand. Mm-hmm. But you drink it, like you ladle it into a glass out of the spring, and it's amazing. So yeah, this water, and there's no, you know, it's completely approved by, you know, the health department. It's been, they've been doing this for just forever. Yeah, it's a, to me, it's as kind of clean and, and, and pure as water can be. And I, I'm pretty, I'm actually particular about water. I don't really understand people who are like, can't tell the difference between tap water and, and bottle water. I just, <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't have any patience for those kind of people. And even things like, you know, like I said, I make my coffee. I made your coffee with this mm-hmm. because people don't realize that coffee what's the percentage of his water like so if you use water it doesn't taste good <laughs> to make coffee it's not going to work yeah, so go, go open a restaurant and you'll you'll find out how important water and the the cleanliness or the amount of minerals that are in the water matter to everything yeah so it's line spring water uh and they actually have there it's a sort of three companies under this umbrella so the water uh the amethyst elixir company which is a cbd oil um the difference here being that it is completely water soluble so it really hits the bloodstream fast um and basically makes whatever you put it in taste like delicious marijuana water uh now the third are the uh are the living nuts which you pick a flavor here i've yeah, got three I'm options gonna, i'm gonna go with the teriyaki almonds okay so these are the deal nuts with, with a Z, by the way. As I always say, nuts in the in the S is actually a Z. Um, <laughs> the, just so you know, just to be clear. But so the interesting about about these nuts is that they are sprouted over a two day process rather than you know roasted over a fifteen minute process, which not only preserves a lot of the nutritional value of them, but it gives them, as you'll see, like a really nice texture. Like they, and this is something that I wasn't. I had like randomly. He, my friend had brought me some samples of them and I was, I'm not like a snacker, but I, I really liked these. Do they, do they do a plain, just a plain? Mm-hmm. Yes. They do plain, which I've left the plain. I've, I've always wanted to kind of make a, a pecan pie with the, mm-hmm. with the plain, but there's definitely a, a difference, you know? Mm-hmm. I find sure. there's so many products like, not, not products, but ingredients where, we're so used to eating them and them tasting a certain way that when then when you have like a really good one, you yeah. you can't go back. Right. Like I like whatever black olives out of a can. Like there's a certain flavor profile of that yes. that is like nostalgic. <clears throat> right. Like you get on an, a main Italian sandwich yeah. or you get on pizza. You or don't whatever. want Kalamata olives on a main Italian. No. Yeah. But then the first time you had like a really good olive, it blew your mind. Yeah. And it's the same thing with nuts is like, you 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 had the the ones that came in a can. I'm not going to knock any brands, but yeah. you know, Planners, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, you had those, and they're fine, right? Yeah. They're salty. But then you have like really good nuts that are so crunchy, and it's like you can't ever go back to eating no. those ever again. Yeah, if you do, it has to be like the the honey roasted or whatever. You know, something that's just, just so the like part of the ones, flavor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you like them, and I, I actually really enjoy them too. The um. Our second sponsor is that we love very much uh, and where I get my own haircut and my beard trimmed is a head game salon at 116 Free Street in Portland. Uh, they're a full service salon in downtown Portland offering cut and color, massage and body, threading and waxing services, also cryo skin therapy. Uh, they have a juice bar and an apothecary on site. And not only do I get my haircut there, but I also use their uh, hair products uh, called Controlled Chaos, which is conducive to those of us 
uh, with hair of the curly persuasion. <laughs> um, it was actually, it's, it's, it's a really good product. They were actually on Shark Tank with it um, and, they, and they impressed, I don't know which one. I'm assuming Mark Cuban. He seems like the guy who would get behind the, the, the you know, thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Mark Cuban was the guy. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know which one. I like, but I we like love head games and we love controlled chaos. And we are back now with Andrew Knowlton, uh, the uh, Bon Appetit's uh, editor-at-large, uh, host of The Final Table on Netflix, and partner in the Carpenter Hotel and Carpenter's Hall restaurant in Austin, Texas. And funny thing is, as the show has progressed, I wanted to kind of think of something that we do every time that's recurring. Uh, it's sort of like, give it, because I like continuity. But the one thing that has just happened inevitably in everyone so far is McDonald's has come up in conversation. <laughs> and and he Andrew already um kind of went there talking you were just talking about a hat, I think, earlier or something. No, or, I was talking about a plate, like plate, the com yeah, the commemorative plate. plates that we used I don't to remember commemorative yeah. plates. I mean they were those plastic ones. Like I had a uh a hamburglar. There was a hamburger. And then what was the purple guy's name? Grimace. Grimace. I had one of those too. Well, go ahead. Make your McDonald's point. I mean, oh, I was just thinking about this old onion article where they like replaced Grimace with a character called the Grapist. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the hamburger and the Grapist. What was anyway, Grimace? Grimace was a shape. <laughs> he was like a big gumdrop. I don't really know yeah, what was he say. was. But he wasn't, he wasn't jelly. He didn't seem to be in gel form. Okay. He he kind of he seemed to have a physical presence. And I don't know how tall Grimace was, but those those characters like <laughs> yeah, yeah, the juice glasses and stuff. And well, no, but just like how effed up like Ronald McDonald is effed up. Like that's a scary <laughs> character. He Any of those terrifying. things, if you met them in a dark alleyway, like Hamburglar or Grimace, they would freak you out. <laughs> Absolutely, they do not make you hungry. Like no. the Burger King, he's welcoming. Even that weird yeah, creepy but one he's now. Weird too. <laughs> they're all weird. He looks like that one. That... So you like what do you like the Colonel? I mean, what's who's your guy? No, they're like, all. Wendy? They're all. all Wendy's those mascot. normal looking. But that's like a twelve-year-old kid. <laughs> like that's creepy too. Okay, so we've established that. that yeah, fine, fine. No, there's no non-creepy fast food mascots. Now, what is your stance on on McDonald's? This is not an intentional thing, but full disclosure, I have not had McDonald's since i was a sophomore in college okay because of the just the way it makes you feel that you know it's kind no of i don't i don't know i mean i felt like there's so much other food i will say that like i was raised on mcdonald's like mcdonald's was the re reward for me when mm -hmm. i was growing up whether it was after a baseball game or i got straight a's like i would want to go to mcdonald's and my friends and i grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, we would walk to the McDonald's. That was kind of like our hangout, you yep. know, during yeah. the summer. I remember my mom would always like, when she was feeling generous, which was a lot of the time, would bring me back like a bacon, egg and cheese biscuit mm -hmm. in the morning. I was never a McMuffin fan, which I know is like a lot of people love McMuffins. Yeah, but it's, it's about what you had as a kid. So I was, you know? I, I was raised on my fair share of McDonald's. So I don't have anything morally against McDonald's. Um, I do think, you know, their fries aren't as good as they used to be. Because well, they don't fry them in beef fat. Beef fat, right. tallow. Yeah. I just, it's just something that I choose not to eat. You know, yeah. I think fast food in general is kind of makes me feel crummy in a way. I mean, mm -hmm. I do. Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. But I like, you know, like I like Wendy's. I like their French fries. I've never been a Burger King fan. 
I actually haven't. There's there's other like regional fast food that, but it's just it's just not something that's well, right, on. Yeah, that thing. and I think with McDonald's, I mean, obviously there's a lot of delicious, you know, fast food burger places. Right. Usually they're in the West Coast or the South. I find the best the, chains. The South has yeah. some of the best fast food. But chains. I, McDonald's, I, I think, is brought up because for everybody, there's just a an element of nostalgia. I think that yeah, or even things that you unconsciously. I was talking with in the first episode with with Arlen Smith. Like how you know the first time I had a fillet of fish sandwich, like every fish sandwich I have after that, I was secretly comparing in my head to the fillet of fish subconsciously. Like I didn't even know I was doing right, that. Right. But um, but the way that the McRib has become, even in like the high end food industry, has become this like talking point about like yeah. this seasonal. It's not a seasonal food, but it you it's know a they, promotional. It's food. a promotional. Right. food. Can't get it while supplies last. But there's been so many people who tried to replicate that on okay. a level. Yeah, and that actually, we're going to jump off McDonald's because <laughs> that brings me to another thing that I wanted to discuss specifically. Things that I'm kind of just over it with um, in restaurants. And one of it, and one of those things is definitely the kind of grown-up versions of child children's food. Right. Um, probably specifically dessert. You know, it was like, you know, the whole milk bar thing for a while. That was yes, neat. that was fun and cute. Yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, like the this is a high end version of a McRib. Not only do I not want that. Right. I don't want it in any way. Like, I don't. Right. You're not going to improve that. Like, right. That's something that's engineered by science. Like right. that. That's not even like that food. And, and why are you doing that? Like, who are you doing it for? Right. I mean, I have I have a lot of issues. I mean, I can I'll go toe to toe with being a curmudgeon. We used to have these fights at Bon Appetit that I would be like, you know, I would say something usually stupid, like (laughs) nobody under the age of 15 should want that food, nor should they eat that food. Right. And it's that gimmicky, you know, it's like the ramen burger stuff or this is this totally weird, you know, Instagrammable moment that has become has become its own food group in society. Yes. Right. Yes. And I just feel like food can still be fun. It can still be wacky, but like, I don't need a hot pocket when I go out to dinner. Like, <laughs> and it can taste, I mean, that, that ramen burger, or the hot pocket, it can taste amazing. I sure. still want to eat it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure it tastes good. I'm sure you right. did a good job replicating a hot pocket, which is really just an empanada. Right. <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, I don't need you to tell me I'm having a hot pocket. Right. And it works, though. Nostalgic foods like that work. I mean, I I think desserts is where I'll forgive, like, you know, that kind of, I don't know, deconstructed Snickers bar or something like that. Those flavors. <laughs> I would like, never want a deconstructed Snickers bar. Well, it's just... called chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah. And caramel. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the nougat, though? That's really that's what makes the Snickers bar is the nougat. I don't even know what nougat really is, technically, <laughs> but I just accept it for what it is. Um, yeah, I think well, desserts in general, I guess, is a more whimsical, you know, thing. It so I, I get that. Um, and there's only so many ways to go with dessert a lot of so times. So you got to cut on some slack. You're like, yeah. you're trying to be creative here right. and accidentally recreate the little Debbie's thing, whatever. Right. That's fine. But like another example is like all the high end restaurants that, you know, somehow have had tater toss on their menu all of a sudden. Right. They're like right. things like that. You're like, but you know, I saw something online, um, uh, so you saw that KFC has that fucking Cheeto thing. Jesus, it's and it's like it's so anybody who hasn't seen this, it's a burger or it's a chicken sandwich that's smothered in Cheetos sauce, but then the bun is what Cheetos made of Cheetos. Well, I think there's a dusting, but then there's actually Cheetos 
like you would put potato chips in a sandwich. Some people, right. There's Cheetos in it. Also. Yeah, and there's like a Cheetos sauce. Yeah, because yes. it's like a red Cheetos yes. colored sauce. And it's like one of those things where you're sitting watching this commercial and then you expect like like the Saturday Night Live like skit to yeah. end. Yeah. Like it's a joke. Yeah. And then I was on Instagram the other day and I don't know who it was or somebody linked to it that there was a restaurant that, that like couldn't help themselves. So now they're doing their version. If I could, if it weren't for the screen, <laughs> I wouldn't just smack my head against the mic just now. But yeah. But it's just, I mean, we all Taco Bell's to blame for well, all with that the Doritos stuff. taco, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of amazing the world we live in where you can KFC will come out with something that has fucking the Cheetos. double downs. Like yes. well, some place yes. here even did like where's that what the fried chicken's the bun? Yeah. yeah. And you're like, no, like I don't, it's just this and is you know the way what? people KFC this... can do whatever they want because if you go into KFC, you're looking for whatever it is anyway. But yeah, you don't it's not cool to recreate right. the double down. Yeah, KFC's terrible fried chicken. <laughs> yes. Popeyes, Popeyes is much better. Popeyes is, I think Popeyes might be the best fried chicken. I on like a certain their, level. I like their imitation mashed potatoes with the gravy. For some reason, it tastes um, really good see, to I don't me. even go there. I just, I just, the way they get all those crinkly, yeah. the, the crevices, I mean, there's a whole science behind that. There's, there's all these people who've talked about going into Popeyes and seeing uh, that. Popeyes is know. universally accepted as like, being one of the, you know, like Popeye's and then, and well then Chick-fil-A for that style. Right. Um, which there was in Bangor the other day, yesterday. Oh, they opened I, one in Bangor? I, yeah, you remember you asked me, I, I posted it. Oh. They had like a freestanding one. Okay. So it's like Bangor okay. and then the next one is in like New York. I don't but, know. It's but like they really don't far. have Bojangles up here. No Bojangles. And I've heard, that's one of those like legendary things. Like people hear about In-N-Out Burger and yeah. the West Coast. Bojangles chicken is one of those things. Bojangles spicy. Fr- if you're ever driving through the South, there's two places. I would recommend Bojangles. Mm-hmm. And then if you're in the Carolinas, there's a, a small chain called Biscuitville. Ooh. I mean, all I, I just have to see that word. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm there. Biscuit Phil? But it's there. also like all you can think of is Justin Timberlake like dancing in a biscuit costume, be like, come on down to Biscuit Phil. You know? <laughs> and now if they incorporated that element, I'm 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 literally driving down just to go to Biscuit Phil. You know, that's you know, all my it's funny, all my children want. I mean, God bless them for being my children because they have to live with that. Oh, like, oh, your dad's a food expert, you know, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. and we don't necessarily eat Fast food, not. It could be worse. It could be like, oh, your dad's carrot top or something. That's true. You know, I mean, it's, it's true. You know, could be much worse. Then we live in Vegas. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like the fast food to them is this like weird forbidden thing that they think I'm going to get mad at them. And I was like, no, you can go do that on your own. I'm just not going to facilitate you going right. there every day. And because that, that food's not good for you. In the no. Long run. And yeah. I think that's funny because you keep actually like bringing up points that I've pretty much have like sitting in front of me is, is one of the points because I've, I've met your children and they're very you've taken really good photos of my yes, children uh, not to creep that's, no, no, that's no, no, not that way sorry that was all <laughs> nice photos um, but they're very well mannered and they're very cultured and they, which you would absolutely expect um, but what I've always said is like to these parents I'm like you know your kids wouldn't know there's a such thing as a kids menu if you didn't if offer you didn't it offer them. them the kids menu if yeah. you were just like you have to eat this food this is what we eat for food yeah and I think that is I do not give parenting advice because I, I do all the time. You can't do that. Yeah. But that is the one thing that I would tell any parent to do is treat your children like they're a part of the table and not at the kids table. And, you know, I remember going to death 
the death match that you threw that one time. Yeah. And that was when my youngest child was maybe seven or Julep, eight months. Yes. Ju- mm-hmm. Julep. And there's a great picture I have of her, like resting a <laughs> wine glass on her head, yes, which is terrible. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, Julep and Cigna, who's the other one, they, they love food. And I feel like the reason that they are the amazing kids they are is because they learned so much by eating out in restaurants. They, yeah. they learned how to talk to people. They learned how to say thank you and please. They learned how to get what they want by having to use their words. And they also like, not to sound too cheesy about it, but that is their window into culture. Ab- you know, going, going to restaurants and having their eyes opened and, and knowing that like, hey, I might not like this, but other people do. So I'm not going to judge anybody by it. And I think that's like, Restaurants is like that microcosm for just understanding and accepting people for what, you know, who they are. But one day I will find like bags of like the the way that like some parents would be disappointed if they found like weed or something under yeah. their bed. I'm going to find like bags of like Dorito. the shittiest candy, the <laughs> yeah. shittiest snack and like Burger King rap, Whopper wrappers. Like, Russell Stover's. We, can do, we, we are not a Russell Stover's family. That's not what we are. Um, wow, Russell Stowers. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know where I just pulled that out of. But it's like you said, like bad candy, and I was like, Russell Stowers. Um, no, Russell Stowers is the is the definition of mediocrity. When it yeah, comes no, to- Fanny Farmers, the <laughs> shitty one. Yeah, when you're even as a kid, you're like, this chocolate is cheap. Yeah, <laughs> this is cheap chocolate. As far as then, before I get into talking about the final table and we wrap it up, I there's just a couple, you know. There are always these lists of like, hey, Andrew, what restaurant trends do you wish would just go away and blah, right, blah, blah. Right. But you know what one I really wish would go away that keeps showing back up <laughs> is the fucking communal table. Like, I just don't, I don't want to make friends. I mean, I'm not, I said I was trying to be less jaded, but it doesn't mean I'm going someplace because I want to meet somebody. Right. And like, especially if I'm alone, like, right. that just sounds like the worst. Is there, let me ask you a question. Is there ever a, a, a certain type of restaurant where communal experience is okay? No. No, no, there isn't. I can't think of a single one. I mean, so maybe, has, has, maybe if you were in like another country, you know, there was like a, I don't know, maybe if that was how it was, if everybody got served at once yeah. or something, I don't so know. I, I do not disagree with you at all, uh, but what's different? Is it the fact that you're, that you, ha- that there's the potential there to sit across from somebody that bothers you? Because sitting side it. by side, well, no, but you do that at a bar. Yeah, but that bar, I don't like doing it at a bar either because you feel their eyes boring into you. And you can tell those people. You can see them out of your peripheral vision. Wait, you vision. don't like sitting next to somebody at a bar? Okay, here, let me clarify. So this is like I like sitting in a bar. Yeah. I don't like when I'm alone. And uh, if maybe it's like the bar's not busy and I'm the only one and there's a bunch of empty seats and the person sits in a seat near me. That drives me crazy. Well, that's that's like peeing next it's, to that's somebody. That's exactly yeah. what that's like. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And But the thing is that they're usually the kind of people. I'm not, I'm just not like a... Like I'm friendly and like, I will, if I want to talk to you, I'll talk to you, but I don't like I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy, I swear. But like, you know, I can feel their eyes boring into me from the side and like everything on TV and they're, they're, they're chatting up the bartender, but in a way where they're trying to bait me into the conversation because they want to start talking at me. Okay. And I just don't let them. Okay. I look at my phone. So hypothetically you walk into a busy restaurant yeah. and there's, there's three seats available. There's right. a, one seat at a very crowded bar. Okay. There's one seat at a communal table on the corner, but still at a communal table. Okay. Or there's a two-top table where you will sit alone in a crowded dining room. Where do you sit? The two-top. 
Really? Why is that? Uh, okay, I feel comfortable because I'm always going to order a whole bottle of wine. Uh, so I feel comfortable being two people. Yeah. And I just, I don't really, if I want to hang out with people, I go with them to the place. Like, I just don't go to places to like, I mean, unless, unless I know people that work there, I'll go see them, but I don't go out to eat. See, to, to me, to it's friends. more awkward when, because I always wonder about people who there's a, two people walk into a restaurant and there's two seats at the bar and it's not like a bar bar, but it's like a, right. people are eating. I'm clearly. also assuming that I'm having a full dinner. I'm not just having it. Yes. Yeah. But let's, I guess. So then the next scenario is let's say you're with another person or yeah. you're alone, whatever. And you, and there's a seat at the bar or you can wait 30 minutes for a table. Do you wait 30 minutes for the table? Oh, usually we sit at the bar. Okay. Yeah. We like, I like, I, I don't mind sitting at a bar. And, you know, sometimes like there's sometimes there's like an experience like everybody there's like a terrible customer that we all like bond over or something. And that's right. a beautiful thing. Like, right. I'm not saying I don't want to speak to anybody ever, but right. I like to ha choose when it happens. Right. Like, I don't really like somebody to kind of just assume. That's that. just interesting because, in you know, a lot of times I would be alone eating at restaurants, yeah. you know, throughout the country. And I would almost specifically always choose the bar. Because I felt like sitting at a table is even more uncomfortable being that solo diner, you know, yeah. and 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 then more eyes are on you and you can kind of right. disappear at a bar in a way because you become part of yeah. the backdrop. I'm not as uncomfortable being that solo okay. diner. And that's why they make phones. <laughs> you just you're there with your phone. It's like you're there with somebody else. I got the whole world right here. To... But back to the communal thing. <laughs> yeah, I 100 percent agree with you about. I mean, I have no problem sitting on the end of a communal table, but like if I will not sit at across from somebody with with a huge thing, like I agree. But, you know, if I'm at a ramen bar or something where it's like a 20 minute thing. Yeah, I got that's a little less. But right. yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, sometimes, you know, unfortunately, with build outs of restaurants, like sometimes a communal table I don't think anyone prefers it, but it's just it's the table that fits in the room. Yeah. And, and rather so, than have it be an A top, it's the communal table. Which I, communal I, table. I I get. And the communal table, which um But I would argue that 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 is that is not disappearing, but it's right. not the rampant thing it was of a few years past. Here's a transition. So you know what was also a communal <laughs> table was the final table. Wow, that's good. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know where I come up with this shit, but I'll tell you. So yeah, I wanna I, I didn't wanna um finish without talking about your Netflix series, The Final Table, which I I watched in, in two days. I sort of I binge watched it. Um, I will be up front and saying I don't normally I, I haven't watched a cooking competition show probably since like the fourth season of Top Chef. I don't watch MasterChef. I don't like Chopped um, because I don't like the level of like gratuitous drama yeah. that's made to like because I just don't think food is that exciting. <laughs> like i mean it's exciting but it's not like it's not like explosions yeah. and shit exciting you know right right but they try to make it that way like everything's like the music changes and stuff right somebody's and, gonna yeah the souffle is not gonna yeah rise. you're gonna go yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know yeah. so and in in the final table even though there is definitely a very i can refer to it as a very epic set i mean mm -hmm. it's almost like a spaceship like yeah you know and, and andrew comes out and it's like this 
it's 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 even more it's more epic than Kitchen Stadium. It's a big yeah. It's a yeah. big. I mean, it's where they filmed Star Trek. That's to give people an idea how big it is. It's in that studio. Wow, because yeah. it looks like that. I it mean, looks like yeah, Star Trek. that's not well, hard that's to believe. That's the joke. Is like, oh, was that leftover from the? Old that's stuff? amazing because no, I literally thought Star Trek. That's incredible. Okay, so I always thought it was more Tron, like early Tron. Was, but Tron yeah. would be amazing if you if you if you guys were all with like the discs and the, the neon. That would be that's yeah. Let them know season one. You know that that I'll. They can give you royalties. Joe would like to be an executive producer. Yeah, I'd like to show up on one of the bikes, <laughs> <laughs> the Tron bikes. Um, one second, Bruce credit. Uh, anyway, so so that aside, um, the final table is different to me because I think it really, I really like, I appreciate that all the contestants on it are professionals. Yeah. Um, there's not the amateur element. Uh, everybody, like, they make, right, from, right off the bat, you're like, this show is legit. Um, the food they make has substance. You know, there's never, I don't think there was a single like epic fail that I no, saw no, on that show. No. As far as dishes. I mean, like, and every character, like, usually there's like at least half of the contestants, they're, they make you wince. Every, right. Or they're confrontational with the judges, right. like the spike right. on Top Chef or right. people like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't care to watch right. that. And so I, I appreciate it. Like, all the contestants, they're very gracious and they, they all seem, and, they, and this, is, this is like this friendship that builds throughout the show yeah. between a lot of them. That's actually like really kind of heartwarming because they, be, you can tell they're like really friends now. Yeah. Um, well, I think they, you know, I had been involved in some other shows before, like you know, being a judge on Iron Chef. Right. There was some stuff on. Those had the very long hair, right? Those long hair, yeah. Knowlton, yes. Uh, and I, 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 that's the only time I refer to myself as a third person because <laughs> yeah, I try to forget Nolten. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I always wanted, I wanted to be if I was going to do a competition show because I said I never wanted to be one of the judging food on television. It just, I have a personality where it just always comes across as dickish, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. As I have opinions about food. It's so hard not to, you know. It's, yeah, I like what I like. But I think the thing that appealed to me the most about this is, is that, A, the level of talent that w we were able to get. And then also just, it was like, look, there's no kind of like, we're not trying to throw you under the bus here. It's like cooking has it all, it, all of its pitfalls just to begin with, yeah. right? When you're dealing with stuff like that. I mean, I think you're probably unique in a way and the people like you who who love food for food and don't want to see somebody fail or there, that there has to be this criminal element right. to it. Like, oh, that's the bad guy. Clearly, yeah, you know, that that's 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 a formula that has worked in food television. Yes. And you watch Nailed It, which does really well. And you watch those other shows and they work for a reason to a certain clientele. I do think the one thing that's been proven with like Samin's show, uh, Salt, Fat, oh, Acid, yeah, yeah, Heat, yeah, yeah. you know, or with <clears throat> Bourdain's shows is that there's an audience for non-gimmicky food programming, Thank you God. know, yeah. and I'd like to think that while we're not no reservations or doing that kind of in-depth travel and discovering cultures that on the other side of the spectrum, on the on the reality kind of unscripted shows that were kind of, uh, you know, the two book bookends to, to that. Like it's that same level of like food is not a joke anymore. Being a chef is like a legitimate profession these days. Right. And to want to uphold them and not, you know, have the little dancing monkeys come out and, yeah. and have yeah. that stuff. I mean, there's still it's got to be entertaining, and that's what and, people and it like. Absolutely, is entertaining, yeah. and it's not. And it's also not branded to death. Right, like that pantry is 
ludicrous to say the least. Is there, what, was, what was in that? Like everything? I mean, like yeah, I mean, any that, kind of caveat? I, or any wish, kind of like- I wish there was a behind the scenes because every, you know, we would film basically one episode a day okay. for, for the show. And the loadout that would happen at the end of one show into the next day where we would, you know, we'd segue from France to Brazil. Yeah. And you'd have to like basically take all oh, the so truffles. That pantry would sh- that truffle, okay. I mean, there would always be the kind of things there for people who wanted a different rice or whatever. Yeah. But then you'd have to bring in all those Brazilian fruits and the because yeah. you know, we wanted the pantry to represent that country. Right. And that was just like mind-boggling. I mean, the, wow. the amount of effort and and money that went into getting the that was like right. even me jaded had has been in a few kitchens and obviously worked at bon Appetit in the test kitchen like going into that pantry was just yeah. jaw dropping i see the stuff they pull out of that um, yeah like that is and it wasn't you know no swanson broth in sight no the, the kenmore <laughs> kitchen you know it was just like so so like i said i think i keep coming back to the word legit because if you're if you're just into food and you don't need all that other stuff like this show has what you want and and like I was genuinely excited to see what everybody was making. And then even the chefs they get for, it was almost like you end up in the, the bottom three and you have to cook again. But that's but I was kind of like, that's kind of cool yeah. because you yeah. get to cook for this like ridiculous, like crazy <laughs> yeah. chef, you know? And, um, and it wasn't even like your usual TV personalities. I'd say the probably most well-known one was Grant. Grant Atkins. Uh, and yeah. then um, Olivera. Uh, Enrique Olivera. Olivera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But everybody, but it was just like these incredible, like, like the, the credentials of these chefs was. Was, was legit. It, it was and, legit. And I yeah. think like they, you know, the producers, they could have, asked a lot of people to host a show but i think to their credit they wanted somebody who had food knowledge and not just a talking head and i think that's that was what made me want to do it is like i brought that level of understanding and have hung around chefs enough to like a be able to have a conversation with them and ask the right questions and seem smart so i think Hopefully, yeah. and you, you know, didn't have to have like the Simon Cowell character, right? Which and I great. didn't, you know, I don't want that. I mean, I, you I had think, Jay Rayner, and that was close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, those Brits, man, they're tough. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you know, and and I think you know, if there's that second season or more after that, then you know, we'll be able to develop that more and, and tweak some things that make it maybe more fast paced and yeah. like you know more I, energetic. I, I have to say for you know for a first show to host like you knocked out the park. I Thanks. couldn't even imagine how difficult it would have been to really get comfortable in that setting and yeah. it didn't take long at all to do it. And it was like, like well so just I mean you can tell in the first the first episode that it you know uh, it was it was hard just reading off a prompter like you take yeah, it for granted absolutely like, we see people on tv doing Being it all natural time. and reading off a prompter oh, like it's fucked up it's like do yourself yeah <laughs> but read off this prompter right. great I've, wardrobe also oh yeah well i've heard some mixed things all, all I, my well, friends at my gq style, were yeah. like what was up with that i was sure like they my, know. my steve harvey you can be like i'm just gonna pull up a bunch of old gq regrets already <laughs> yeah. things that you guys have been talking about no it was like very it was very tasteful. You're Steve Harvey. <laughs> I thought it was very tasteful and I, I enjoyed it. A little bit of splash of color here and That's there. That's right. Never heard anybody. Never heard anybody. God damn it. Well, I think that we've had a, an amazing episode. Um, I think that we are going to wrap things up. I want to thank again, uh, Andrew Nolan for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been awesome to hang out. Uh, again, I'm going to give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Tourmaline Springwater, uh, Amethyst Elixir Company, CBD Drops, uh, Living Nuts with a Z. Uh, Head Game (laughs) Salon and Controlled Chaos Hair Products. And until next time, Joe Riccio, the Food Plummet Podcast, signing off.